Welcome, everyone, to Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover with you from Birmingham, Alabama. We've got Kyle Crooks from Gainesville, Florida, and we're also pleased to be joined by someone else in the state of Alabama, one of our friends, the voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Burcham, who's this week's guest as we return to Broadcaster Hour. And Andy, it's great to see you. How's everything going? I'm doing well, guys. It's good to see you as well. I'm glad to be on with you today. I'm uh, honored to be with uh, the amount of guests that you guys have been able to to have on this podcast. Uh, so I told Brad Law the other day, who's our producer and works baseball and football and basketball with us. I said, they must be scraping the bottom of the barrel if they came to me for this. So I'm, I'm glad to be with you guys today. So Andy, how did it go? How did this year go for you? It was, it was much different for everybody, right? COVID restrictions. I know football was able to travel for most of this year. Basketball was a little bit different on the road. The SEC, you weren't able to travel. So you know, this type of season for you, doing it remotely, trying to figure out different ways to do broadcasts. And for me, getting that sound back to the broadcast was always a nightmare. But just in general, how did this year go for you? Well, bottom line, I was I was thrilled that we were able we had a season to call for football and basketball and baseball. And it was very different for all three. We didn't know if we would get to travel for football and, and some crews in the SEC chose not to travel this year. Uh, we did travel. We, we traveled to every game other than our bowl game, uh, down in Orlando. And, you know, it, it was, it was very different. We did not travel with the team and typically a part of our crew does travel, uh, on the flights, uh, for, for away games, but that was not the case this year. We had COVID protocols. We couldn't be around the team, even at the team hotel. Uh, Brad and I were both tested, through the football season, uh, once a week. And, and that turned out to be, you know, just fine. So football season was, was different in the fact that, you know, we didn't have the big crowds. We didn't have 85 to 110,000 in the stands for the games. And, you know, we went into it. We, we went in a different entrance at Jordan Hare stadium than we typically do. Typically like, like so many, uh, we, we have a tailgate show, on location for the home games. Everything was done from the booth this year. So, so that was different when it came to basketball season, that was probably the biggest adjustment because as, as you know, no one traveled during basketball season. So every away game that, that Auburn played myself and Sonny Smith and Brad law set up a, a broadcast location just behind our booth at Jordan Hare Stadium. So we were broadcasting, like many guys and gals, we were broadcasting basketball from the football stadium. And that takes some getting used to, calling everything off of a monitor. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, Kyle, working to get the Nat sound in. And I think for the most part, it worked out pretty well for us. War Eagle Productions on campus really assisted in, in getting the natural sound and 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 it worked well. Uh, typically, we're on the sideline for home games right in front of the jungle, the, the student section at Auburn. That, that is a rowdy crowd, and they were not there. We were up on the concourse level in a corner uh, calling the home games this year. And that, it kind of took me back to my high school basketball play-by-play -play days, uh, being up like that. And then baseball was, was somewhat normal. We were able to travel. And at the end of the year, we were able to travel with the team. We were, Brad and I are fully vaccinated and we were able to travel with the team, stay with the team and, and to be around them. And by the end of the year, we were actually able to do our post-game interviews on the field. Uh, so as the year went on for baseball, it, we started to return to what we had had in the past. And, and while there were hurdles to clear and adjustments to be made, uh, when, when it was said and done, I was just grateful that we had an opportunity to call games this year, uh, because, you know, we were talking, you know, at this time a year ago, we didn't know if there would be athletics at all. And, uh, that was, that was tough for those of us in this business, for those, you know, the, the, those coaches and those student athletes, whether they would get a chance to play in a season, I can't imagine what it was like for them. I know what it was like the uncertainty for, for me not knowing if we were going to have a season to call or not. So I was grateful to be able to call it in whatever form we were able to do this past year. 
And I'm interested in your role as the voice, and, and you do a lot. It's more of like a director of broadcast operations, right? So this is somewhat of the slow point for you. You're one of the rare guys that does football, basketball, and baseball. And this is somewhat of your down period. Is there a moment for you where the wheels are turning, uh, the creative wheels are turning for you to try to find different ways to, to bring out content because these are the slow times of the year? Just what is this time like for the voice of a school when there are no college athletics? Well, for, for, for me, it's the toughest time of the year from a work perspective. I, I enjoy the routine uh, as crazy as it can be during a season. Of, of preparing for a game or two or three or four or five, as it turns out to be during November and February, especially. But I enjoy that. I enjoy that grind and that routine of it. I, I do enjoy weekends free during the summer months. It's, it's, it's the only time of the year that, that my wife, Jan, and I have a chance to travel and to see family and to just to get away for a little while. I do enjoy that part of it. But it, it's always a big adjustment for me coming off of a season and, and, and getting into the routine of coming into the office and, and starting to prep for the next year. But, but Brad Law, who is, who, who he and I share that, that director of, of broadcast operations at Auburn. Um, it's a time of the year where we, we go out and try to visit our affiliates uh, throughout the Southeast and just to, to check with them. It's a chance to perhaps, obtain new affiliates for the Auburn Sports Network. I will start to work on, on spotting boards and improving spotting boards throughout the summer months. Matter of fact, I've already made some calls to some of my colleagues in the league, just trying to get some ideas that they have for their spotting boards and how they prep throughout the season. And um, like Broadcasters Hour for you, we, we do the Talking Tigers podcast weekly here. So I'm working on guests and trying to set up guests throughout the summer months, uh, just to, and, and it can be in, in any sport, uh, throughout the year. If there's a guest that comes up, uh, uh, Rachel Denkoff, who just, just qualified for the U S Olympic team in the discus, trying to set up a, a, a talking tigers podcast with her, uh, just to talk about what it's going to be like to go to Tokyo here in a little while and, and to be a part of the U S Olympic team. So that's kind of what the summer months are. And we do talk about content quite a bit. How do we want to handle our pregame show uh, for football? What, what are the possible guests? Do we want to make some changes in how the, the, the different features that we do? And the, and the summer months, uh, Kyle does allow us to be able to, to take some time and, and to step back a little bit and look at, at, at how we handle our broadcasts throughout the year. Well, it is a cliche, but I find that it's a really true cliche. Uh, no broadcaster really knows where this journey is going to take them. You know, Kyle probably didn't expect he'd be living in Gainesville, Florida when he was born in New Jersey. Me being from Tennessee, didn't expect to be at Alabama. Did you ever have an inkling that maybe one day you would be headed down south from your homeland of Illinois? No, I didn't. Um, as a matter of fact, we, I came to Auburn in September of 1988 with my first wife, uh, and she was coming here. To, to get her PhD in counseling psychology. And the, the plan was we would be here for two years and then we would move back to the Midwest. Well, 30 some years later, here I am in, in Auburn and this is my home now. Uh, I had spent exactly one day in the state of Alabama before I moved to the state of Alabama. So um, I, had, I had spent very little time in the South really never thought I would be coming south. I thought my career would be in the Midwest where I was from. And, but yes, you, you really don't know where that journey is, is going to take you. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm blessed that I'm here. And, um, I've lived in the South. I've lived in Auburn longer than I've lived anywhere in my life. So this is, this is my home now. Well, to get going on that journey, you had to have a spark. You had to have some early influences as you're growing up. Who were the broadcasters that influenced you and made you want to get into this business? You know, it's interesting because I've, I've listened to a lot of the, the, the broadcaster hours that you guys have done and talked with a lot of broadcasters that, that I've, I've interacted with in my career. And many, if not most, have been, especially in the South, have been influenced by an Eli Gold or a Jim Five or a Larry Munson, 
um, whomever, those, those, those iconic voices in, in the Southeast. For me, though, it was the pro game. I grew up 50 miles from St. Louis in a small farming community of Nashville, Illinois. And if you weren't a, if you weren't a Cardinal fan, you weren't in our family. And so growing up 50 miles from St. Louis and listening to KMOX radio, I listened growing up to Jack Buck and Harry Carey, uh, two hall of famers there calling the Cardinal games. I listened to Dan Kelly, who was the longtime voice of the St. Louis blues. He was the voice from the beginning of the St. Louis blues and is also another hall of famer. So those were the three voices really for me that I grew up listening to, uh, odd that I, I didn't grow up listening to music at all. I listened to camo X radio talk radio, 50,000 watt clear channels that you can hear, you can hear here at night. Uh, so that was my, that was my influence. And I've told this story many times in 1967. And yes, I'm old enough in 67. I remember the Cardinals winning the world series. And, and after those days, they would put out an album, an LP, you know, vinyl of highlights of that season. And my father uh, ordered one of those and brought it home one day. And on the hi-fi in our house, I listened to that 67 highlight album with Harry Carey and Jack Buck over and over. I was six years old at the time. And I'm truthful when I tell you this. At that point, I knew this is what I wanted to do for a living. It's all I've ever wanted to do. It's all I've ever trained to do. I wasn't very smart. I didn't even have a minor in college. It was radio, TV, and film, and it was going to be radio for me. And I've been blessed that this is the career that I've been able to do uh, for my entire life. And it will be until the day I'm done. What was it about Jack Buck and, and Harry Carey? Because they were different announcers. Harry was was kind of out there. Jack was more straightforward. Just what, what was it about those two and listening to them and what you learned from them and what do you still take from them to your job that you're doing right now? Well, first of all, they were the Cardinal announcers. So they were they were our guys, you know, and they were very different in their style. And the Harry Carey that I grew up listening to in the 60s was very different than the Harry Carey that ended up finishing his career and his life with the Cubs. He was he was an outstanding play by play man with great rhythm and great excitement. Uh, as I've, I've learned and, and, and read and, and watched documentaries about Harry, he wasn't always real popular with his coworkers or even the players that he covered. Jack Buck to me, though, was the guy that, that probably influenced my early career more than anybody else because he was a true radio man. He was outstanding at calling whatever he called, and he called Cardinal Baseball, he called Monday Night Football with Hank Stram on the Mutual Network that I listened to religiously. And he was he was great at anything he did. He was also on KMOX through the day as one of their hosts. I remember listening to banquets that he emceed in St. Louis. There's one banquet called the Knights of the Cauliflower Ear. I don't know what that means, but it's a big sports banquet in St. Louis that honored St. Louis sports figures. And he was so very witty, but very professional. He had this classic broadcaster's voice and he was as beloved in St. Louis as any player that's ever played for the Cardinals. And that includes Stan usual and Bob Gibson and Lou Brock and, and all of the great Cardinals. That's how important Jack Buck is and was for the city of St. Louis, not just the Cardinals, but for the city of St. Louis. And I was always so impressed just with the impact that he made in that town. And I wouldn't say that I patterned myself after Jack Buck because there are different, we all have different styles, but he is certainly probably the biggest early influence um, in, in my career, without a doubt. What did those early tapes sound like in college when you're doing Ooh. football and basketball at Indiana State, right, is where right. you went and, and you got your degree in, in the early 80s. So 
uh, everyone feels like, at least I did, and you get a rude awakening where you feel like you haven't figured out right away. It's like, yeah, I can do this. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And then you realize you listen to your tape a few years after and say, you know what? I wasn't very good at this. So for you, what were those early tapes like and, and just trying to learn how to do this? My first play-by-play gig was in college. I went to junior college for two years near, near Nashville. And in, in Southern Illinois, every high school basically has its own radio station, high school basketball and football and baseball and softball to a degree are very important to those local communities. And so there was the radio station that covered my high school, even a town of 3000. And the man that was the play-by-play voice for Nashville high school, football, basketball, baseball, softball was, uh, and isn't a man by the name of Brad Meyer. And Brad called the games, even when I was playing at Nashville and he knew that I wanted to get into this business. And so my first year of, of community college, he allowed me to be the third man in the booth for football. And I was terrible trying to do color. I had no idea what I was doing. I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't do it very well. And the second year that I was doing that, they, they had this little basketball high school basketball package called the quad County game of the week. And they took these tiny basketball schools and you would do like a a game of the week going to these four counties. And the guy that had sold that package left the radio station. He was going to, he had sold it and was going to do the play by play. So they didn't have anyone to do the play by play. And I think it was on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, tiny gyms, tiny high school basketball gyms. And we were driving back from a high school Nashville football game on a Friday night. And he said, Hey, listen, we've got a, we've got this opening to do play by play. Would you be interested in doing it? Well, I'd never done play by play professionally. I'd, I've, I've done it, you know, in the backyard playing wiffle ball, like many broadcasters have done, but I said, sure, I can do it. And I remember the, the next day, um, going to our high school basketball practice. And I sat at the very top of the gym by myself. And while they were scrimmaging, I decided this is how I was going to learn to do it. So I just started to figure out how to call those games. And so that, that little high school basketball package, the quad kind of game of the week was my first, it was the first play-by-play I ever did professionally. So I had some experience going to Indiana state for my junior and senior year. And the first day that I was in Terre Haute on campus, I immediately went to the campus radio station and brought them my resume, as it were, probably was handwritten. I'm not sure it was even typed up at that time. And there was a, there was a meeting the next day, I remember. And I walked into that meeting and all, I was the only newcomer in the group, but they looked at me and they said, all right, our guy with experience is here. And all it was, was those high school basketball games as the second to color commentator and those high school uh, basketball games I was able to do. It gave me the experience needed. And Indiana State gave me an opportunity to call. At the time, we did all of the high school, all of the the home football games, basketball games, and all the home uh, baseball games on this campus radio station. We were not the official station but we had our own booth. We had an opportunity to call these games and, and it it just gave me the experience that I continued to need as I then graduated from uh, Indiana state in 1983. Those tapes don't sound very good. Um, they're very, I, the one thing that I took from Harry Carey was his excitement on a big play. And I probably took it to a whole new level, uh, at times I, I, you know, where you just absolutely lose it on a call. I know Roger, that never happens to you, but uh, boy, it did, it, it did to me early on. Uh, and I learned to kind of, to bring it down a little bit, but that that's what those, and there is, there is a tape somewhere that I hope never resurfaces. When I was growing up um, for one Christmas, my maternal grandmother gave me my first tape recorder, cassette tape recorder. And this is back in the day when the the tape recorder came with its own microphone that you plugged in it. It had an on off switch on the microphone. And so that was a great 
Christmas gift. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And we would, after Christmas day, we would ride back with our grandparents to their home in Indiana, uh, over the Christmas break. And there is a tape of me with that tape recorder and my brother, who's a year younger than I am. And my grandparents are in the front seat and we're broadcasting an imaginary hockey game. Of course, with my friends as the hockey players, not using St. Louis blues players and just interviewing all these people. And it just, it's, it's atrocious, but I think they knew at that time, this was, this was the, the route that I was going. <laughs> and again, that route took you all the way to Auburn. Uh, you kind of mentioned you got <laughs> to Auburn in the late eighties and thought, okay, it may be a couple of years here, then move on, maybe get back to the Midwest. But what did you learn about the passion of the fan base? And I'm sure once you realized how many people were listening to your work, starting with the women's basketball team, that it was a passion you wanted to be around every day. Well, I moved to Auburn literally at halftime of the Auburn, Kansas football game in September of 88. And that game was over at halftime. And I was listening to Jim Fife and Charlie Trotman call that game on this AM radio in a U-Haul van driving through, through Auburn. And I, I interviewed for a job on a Monday and started on a Tuesday. And that Tuesday, I, I went to my first football Pat Dye press conference. And that Saturday, the first game, the first college football game I ever covered at Auburn was Auburn, Tennessee, 1988. And it was a sun splashed day at Jordan Hare Stadium. And I've been, I'd been to a couple college games growing up at the University of Illinois and at SIU Carbondale. And, you know, the, the passion there just, it doesn't compare here. And I wasn't ready for the spectacle, the event that a football Saturday was in, in the sec and a football Saturday in Auburn. And I remember that week leading up going to the grocery store and seeing all of the Auburn posters and, and everybody in orange and blue. And on a Friday, I went to the bank and all of the bank tellers were in their orange and blue. I'd, I'd never seen anything like this. And I remember, uh, walking to the stadium. I didn't have a parking pass. I did have a press pass but I parked somewhere on campus and walked to the stadium and walked by all of the tailgates that now I take for granted. And I'd never been in a stadium as large as Jordan Hare stadium until that day. And the late Carl Stevens, who was an iconic public address announcer at Auburn was the host for many years of coach Jordan's weekly TV show makes the announcement. It's 1205. We are one hour away from Auburn, Tennessee football. And the response, I was already in the stadium by then, but you could hear people outside cheering that announcement. And I thought to myself, well, this is a whole different game that you've gotten yourself into. And that was a really good Auburn team. It was, it was part of that, that resurgence of Auburn football under Pat Dye in the eighties. And uh, as, as Roger mentioned, I was fortunate enough, Barry McKnight, who's now the voice, of course, at Troy, longtime voice at Troy, had moved from the radio station that I went to work for to go to another station in Auburn so he could call Auburn baseball. Well, that gave that that opened up the vacancy to cover Auburn women's basketball. And those first two seasons with Auburn basketball, I'm calling the national championship game. One in Tacoma. Uh, against UT, against Tennessee, and then one in Knoxville against Stanford. So those first two years, I'm calling women's basketball. Well, the first year, guys, Auburn didn't lose a game until the SEC tournament championship game. Auburn lost two games that year, both to Tennessee in the SEC championship game and the national championship game. And I thought, wow, what a gig this is, you know? Uh, but it, it started 31 years of calling women's basketball. And then that... That moved to working on the football crew in 1990 as a locker room host, uh, being able to do tape delay football and uh, pay-per-view football when that, when that was still around. And then in 95, I joined Rod Bramblett on the baseball broadcasts. And so that, that, that started where I was calling something 
are part of a radio crew from August through the end of, of uh, baseball season. And of course, we'll touch on your partnership and friendship with Rod coming up. But what can you tell us about Jim Fife, specifically for folks that have not listened to some of his tapes? And I recommend they do. You can find Absolutely. a lot of Jim Fife calls on YouTube. But what can you tell us about getting to know him and how he taught you? Well, he had a he had the classic radio voice. He he had the voice that I don't have, that deep voice. He was he was really of that generation of of Larry Munson and Jack Crystal and Jim Hawthorne, um, all of those guys that, that were, it was just a different generation of, of gentlemen calling the games. Jim was fortunate that, that he was part of Auburn when Auburn made that resurgence in football. He called Bo Jackson and he got to call Randy Campbell and all of those iconic players, Kevin Green, who went on to the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then on the basketball side, he gets to call Charles Barkley and Chuck Person. So he was fortunate in one regard that the games, those teams that he were calling or that he was calling were outstanding teams, but he was a great broadcaster. Uh, he was a radio man, TV guy, had been done some TV as well. I remember one time sitting down with Jim, we were going to Mississippi State and we were riding together in a van going to state. It was my first time to go to Mississippi state for a football game. And I did not know Jack crystal at the time. And he said, if you ever get a chance to listen to Jack crystal, listen to how he sets up the atmosphere of a game. And I thought to myself, all right, that's, that's great advice. It's something that Eli and I have talked about. I think Eli does a wonderful job of setting up the atmosphere of a game. And I've asked him questions, just how he goes, what, what's his thought process. And he told me, you, you tell, you mention everything that you see. That's what Eli told me. But I, but then I listened to how Jim set up a broadcast and Jim didn't have to take a seat to anybody. He was terrific at just the atmosphere of those games. And he was great in the big moment, uh, in, in calling those games. So th those were things, some, some things that I took away from, uh, from Jim and, and how he called the game and how he handled that job, but you're right. I mean, he has some iconic calls at Auburn, the, the, the Reggie slack to Shane Wasden pass in the closing seconds against Florida bow over the top is a classic call there at Legion field. Uh, his Tillman, 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 uh, the reverse or the, the pass to Tillman. Uh, those are iconic calls in Auburn history and, and every school has that announcer and those iconic calls. I hope I get a chance at one of those iconic calls one day. And, and Roger had mentioned Rod and, and the legacy that he leaves behind. And, and of course, the, the tragic incident that happens a couple of years ago. First, Andy, I'll ask you this, just being a really good friend of, of Rod's just and, and Paula, his wife, how tough was that time for you and trying to get through that, trying to get back on the air and trying to do justice to the legacy that is Rod Bramblett, which was an incredible legacy in the SEC. Well, it is. And, and, you know, Rod had the opportunity to some of those iconic calls as well. And the first one was some that maybe some haven't heard was 1997 in the NCAA baseball tournament in Tallahassee and David Ross, who's now the manager of the Chicago Cubs, who is from Tallahassee, Florida, played his high school baseball, literally just, hundreds of feet from Dick Hauser stadium um, hits a, a home run on a Saturday against Florida state to win a game, a walk-off home run. And it helped propel Auburn to the world series. And, and his call that day is still played just about before every baseball game at, at Auburn in some form. And then of course you, you move forward to, to 2004 and the, 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 Cadillac Williams run against Alabama on the first play from scrimmage. Go crazy, Cadillac, go crazy. He gets to call the 2010 national championship season with, with Cam Newton. And then the two calls that, that probably define his career, the, uh, the prayer at Jordan Hare uh, against Georgia and then the kick six against Alabama. And those are just a couple of the calls, but Rod and I, 
Rod and I met while he was working at WAUD radio in Auburn and calling Auburn baseball. And I was working at the time at WKKR and we both covered news in Auburn. And so we would meet at a city council meeting, tape the city council meeting, take notes. And then he and I almost every time would walk back to our cars and talk about the story that we were going to write for the next day's news. Oh, what, what piece of audio are you going to use? Oh, that's a good idea. I wasn't going to use that. That's a, that's a better idea than I had. That's how we met. And then we got to start doing baseball games together in, in 95 and Rod and I did 25 years together. And, and as you guys know, you know, when, when it comes to baseball, there's a lot of time that you spend in a car or a van or an SUV driving around the Southeastern conference. And most of the time they're going to be your roommate on the road as well. So you're either going to become a really good friend of that individual, or you're going to dread the time that you have together. And with Rod and I, we became very, very good friends. And I've always, I, I tell folks, and I, especially I tell folks that are trying to get into the business is you remember the games. Sure. You remember kick six and a national championship game, but the things that I miss the most with Rod are those times in a car where we're just talking about life or a funny story about growing up, or we're griping about the umpiring in a game or why, why can't we, why can't we finish a baseball game? Our bullpen needs to be better. That, that kind of thing. Um, and Rod and Paula just became friends of, of, of my wife, Jan and I. And we did a lot of things together. We, we, we ate a lot of meals together and wouldn't even talk sports at the time. We'd talk about their kids, uh, Joshua and Shelby. And we would talk about our dog because Jan and I didn't have children. So it was that kind of friendship that, uh, that we had to deal with the loss of now just over two years ago. And it's hard to believe it's been two years. But those days after the, uh, their passing are a blur to Jan and I right now. We were, we were talking about it the other day that, that had we known what that summer would be like and trying to get things together from a legal standpoint and moving Joshua to our home, we became his legal guardian. Uh, Shelby was of legal age, so she's, she's not on, under our roof but just trying to get all of that together and all of the things that, that went into selling a house and just that whole summer, we might've thought second, we might have had second thoughts about agreeing to do that quite frankly, but it was something that we committed to Rod and Paula. And it's something you never dream that you're going to do, you know, but Rod, Rod and Paula died on a Saturday. Monday was selection day for the NCAA tournament. The regional was the following uh, their, their memorial service was on a Thursday uh, at, at Auburn arena. And the regional started the next day at Georgia tech. And I already, I already told them, listen, I, I won't be at the regional. I, we, we have too many things we've got to do to, to deal with things. And then when Auburn won that regional, I looked at Jan and I said, I, I really need to be with this baseball team. I, I really want to do these games in the super regional. And she said, I think you need to be there. And so we go to the super regional at uh, North Carolina. Auburn comes from behind and wins game one, uh, loses game two. And then on a Monday afternoon scores 13 runs in the first, first inning of the, the regional super regional championship game and, and Auburn wins that super regional Auburn's football baseball team was wearing the camo hats with the RB sticker on the side and Auburn wins that super regional. We're driving back from Chapel Hill on a Monday. We leave on Wednesday for the college world series and we're there for almost eight days before that, that season comes to a close. And then when it does, then, then we're in full mode of, of all the legal things that, that happen. So 
it's, it's hard to believe that it's been two years since Rod passed away and Paula in that tragic accident. So we, we've, uh, we, we taught the, the first year anniversary of it was tough, but for some reason, this past year, this, this just a couple weeks ago was, was tougher to deal with than that first year was. And I, I don't have an answer as to why, why that's the, the case. And you had said coming to Auburn, you know, 30 years ago that this, this was your dream job. You, you wanted to be the voice of the Tigers. And when this job had come up and Rod had gotten it, I'm sure you were disappointed, but for you, just how tough and delicate of a scenario is it because you're taking over for your best friend and it's yeah. the worst possible situation to take over, but this is your dream job. So how do you honor the past, honor Rod, and, and understand that this for you is a dream come true. It's a little bit odd, isn't it, uh, to, to be in this situation? But, you know, Rod was in the same situation when Jim passed away because he had worked with Jim and he was taking over for a legend. And it was his dream job, but it wasn't the way that he wanted to get that dream job. And I was in the same boat in August of 2019. And I remember at the, the press conference, the only one that I've ever been the subject of, hopefully it's the only one I'll ever be the subject of, but I remember walking and I really didn't know exactly what I was going to say, but that that's exactly what I said. I, I said, this is the job that I've dreamed of having, but I have it in the worst possible situation right now. And Rod's, Rod and Paula's daughter, Shelby, was there in the sitting with my wife. And I just looked at Shelby and I thought to myself, I, I can't imagine how tough this must be. Because there was, I don't know if the right word is joy, but I was excited about having this job. And also knowing that the only reason that I had this job was because of a tragedy that had happened earlier that year. So it, it's something I deal with every time I put those headsets on, you know, uh, but, but here, here's the, the, the one thing I say about that. I owe it to Auburn. I owe it to the Auburn fans to do the very best job that I can and to be joyful in doing that job, even though I've taken over as a result of the accident that happened on May 25th of 2019. All those years announcing basketball, uh, certainly comfortable with that. And with baseball, what was the adjustment like uh, calling football for the first Ooh. time like this on radio? What, how, what are the lessons you've kind of learned from your first two years uh, as the radio football voice of Auburn? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the first game I did was Auburn, Oregon, down in Arlington, Texas. And the story about that, we were, I was on the team flight, flying out of Montgomery. The schedule was we were going to fly to I don't know what DFW something and immediately go to a, a, an alumni event. Uh, and, and then back then finally to the team hotel. Well, there was weather in between Montgomery and Dallas and it delayed our flight for over two hours, maybe even more. So the alumni event we were at, we were unable to go to, and we don't get to the team hotel until it's dark. I know that. And my brother and his wife were there. A, a childhood friend of mine and his wife were at the team hotel. All I could think of was just let me get to my room and, and, and continue to prep for this game. The biggest game that I've ever called to this point. And we've, I finally broke away and went down and had a bite to eat with them. And I, you know, I, I just couldn't wait to get to the game itself. Our pregame show was down at field level in a, 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 a suite right behind the Auburn locker or right behind the Auburn sideline. I mean, you literally could walk up a ramp and you're right there on the field at Jerry world. And Stan white and I break away early because we're going up because we, we start the third hour of our pregame show. And almost got lost. We couldn't find our way to the elevator to get back up. And guys, I don't know if you've ever had, I've had a dream my entire professional career. 
and I still have this dream from time to time that I cannot get to the game for whatever reason, car is broken down. I don't know, whatever. I cannot get to that game. I still have this dream to this day. And I'm, I looked at Stan. I said, Stan, this nightmare is about to come true. And he kept his wits about him. And finally we found someone that could direct us to the booth. But I'll be honest, for the first quarter and a half of that game, I felt like I was just trying to keep up. I couldn't find a pace. I couldn't find a rhythm. And I'm thinking to myself, my Lord, I'm finally getting this opportunity. I'm about to blow it in the very first game that I've called. And just before halftime, I, I finally felt I had a rhythm to the game. And then, of course, the game ends on the, you know, Bo Nix to Seth Williams for a touchdown with nine seconds to go in the game. And I just, I, rem I just remember being relieved after that game. And Rod said the same thing about his first game. He said there, he said there at one point, he didn't know if he could actually get words coming out of his mouth. That's how nervous he was for that very first game. And I've called thousands of Auburn athletic events in my career, but that was by far the toughest that I've ever called. Um, you know what? I, I'm not sure I'll ever stop learning, Roger, especially calling football. It's such a different animal to call for me. I've called basketball for my entire career, and I've called baseball for a long, long time as well. And it's the sport that I grew up listening to. So those are very familiar to me. And although I've played football and watched it and, and covered it and been a part of Auburn football, it's still the biggest challenge that I have each and every Saturday is to call it, call it properly, leave enough time for Stan to give his color commentary and Stan White's among the very best that there are in, in the business. And so I learn every Saturday going to the stadium of how to call Auburn football. And I hope that I get better every Saturday of calling, calling Auburn football. Doesn't mean that I, I, I don't need to improve calling football or calling basketball and baseball, but, but football is still the big challenge for me. Yeah. And really along those lines, just for you, what are the fundamentals to radio play by play for those three sports? We'll start with football, go to basketball and then baseball. For football, it's for one, it's setting up the play, the formation. Where are the receivers? How are the backs lined up? Is the quarterback in the shotgun? Who is the who are the tailbacks that are in? Can you get all of the receivers set up? Down in distance is I know it sounds fundamental, but for radio, you don't have the bug up in the corner that you can look at and see, all right, it's third and five and Auburn leads 14 to nothing. And there's 12 minutes to go in the third quarter. All of those things, the radio man or woman has to bring forth at that point. You are as Vin Scully. So eloquently put, you are the one painting the picture. So that's the one thing that, that that's to me, that's the most basic part of it. Um, how do you call the play? Do you call it accurately? Do you get the tackle? Then do you leave Stan enough time to give his color commentary? How does he analyze the play? And then it all starts all over. To me, that's, that's the skeleton so much of a, of a, of a football game. Doing the games basketball with Sonny Smith is a different animal all the way around. Uh, we have more of a flow together. And Sonny, a lot of times with Sonny, you play the straight man to Sonny. You know what I mean? Um, he's the personality of the broadcast. And there are times where you can interject your own personality, but, but Sonny's, the, Sonny's the comedian. He's also the basketball expert in our broadcast, too. And they're fun to do with Sonny. And it's just, it's just a completely different broadcast doing it with Sonny for Rod and I baseball, we had worked so many games together that we knew not that we didn't step on each other. We stepped on each other in the 25th season, but you also knew his style. You knew what he was looking for in those first to third innings and seventh to ninth innings when you were doing the color. 
and you knew what he was wanting you to, to you for, for us, I don't know how you guys work it, Roger. I think you do. You do some innings of play by play and some innings of color, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. And that's what we've done here. So you, you go from analyze analyst to play by play back to analyst for 25 years. That's what I did with Rod. And it was just fun to call games with your friend, you know, and we got to call some really good Auburn teams as well. I mean, teams that, that went to Omaha and teams that won sec tournament championships. And there were also some incredibly heartbreaking moments, uh, at Sewell Thomas stadium and in Columbia, South Carolina and Baton Rouge. So, and at, and at Plainsman park as well. Uh, but, but basketball is different because you've, you've got a legend in Sonny Smith and baseball is different just because of the pace of the play. I believe it's slower. You've got more time to interject a story. You've got more time to interject an opinion and you don't have to always, you don't have to speak every moment in a baseball game. I know the trend right now is you fill up every waking moment with words. And I'm not sure I, I come from a different era where it's okay every once in a while to let a broadcast breathe. And, uh, so that's, I guess that's my philosophy on, uh, on broadcasting football, basketball, and baseball. And now it's the, the time of the show arts and crafts. I, I know Roger said that you have some spotting boards by you. And, and this is a part of the show that our YouTube viewers love when we get a chance to see what your preparation looks like. So what's important to you to have on those charts? Well, um, it's, it's, I've, I've got my, this is the football board from a day as a matter of fact, right here. So this is my board from a day. I use Microsoft Visio. Is that a good, you have a good visual on that. Do I need to bring it closer. A little closer just so we can right. see some individual boxes would be great. All right. All right. There you go. And it's, it's name number, you know, height, weight, year, hometown, high school, and then a note or two or three or four on the individual players. Uh, I use Microsoft Visio for this. I use Microsoft Visio for my basketball boards as well. Uh, it's the one that I've used forever. I know a lot of, a lot of broadcasters like to write theirs out. If I did that, I wouldn't be able to read it. And I just, I find it easier to do it on the computer. And what I typically do in a bass or in a football season is the Thursday, the Thursday before the game, how do I do this? Eight days before the game. All right. So you're two games out. I will try to get all the names and numbers and all of the, the basic information on the board. So I've got a head start. So then the Monday prior to the game is when I start on the notes, this section here, or filling in this. This is one thing that I started doing this past year, which is score by quarters, third down conversions, and average time of possession. Stan White, I I share my board with Stan, and Stan said he'd like to have that part of uh, on on his spotting board this year. So that, that I will start to do that on a Monday. Typically, we get game notes by Monday, you know, for for that game, and a lot of our our a lot of our stats will come from that. I will read articles throughout the week not only from the Auburn side, but from the opponent side as well. Try to listen to press conferences. Thankfully, many of this is now just available online now, you know. And um, I was talking with Mike Kelly, the uh, longtime voice of, of Missouri. And I'm going to, there was one thing that, that one thing that he, he brought up that I'm going to start doing this year as well. And he does a, a laminated sheet each week of notes, notes that he has from articles, notes from the, the game notes that he has separately just on a laminated sheet that he has uh, on the side that he can refer to throughout the game. So you're not putting as much here, but you've got it in another form here. I will also put all of the notes in a three ring binder. Hold on. Let me find that for you. This is my three ring binder that I use throughout the year. Always has the, the, the football, basketball, and game notes in here. Our live reads that we use throughout the year will be in here, um, that type of thing. So 
those are the things that I use basically on game day. I'll use those as well for our pregame show. Just good reference for uh, the, the Tiger tailgate show that, that we do. Hopefully this year, we're back on location on the east side of Jordan-Hare Stadium. But I've, I've used a spotting board for a long, long time. I learned to do it from Jim when I started doing pay-per-view games for Auburn back in 91, I guess, was my first pay-per-view game. And then that went from there to the old CSS days where we would take delay almost every game. And there I got to work with Cole Kublik and Stan White uh, doing ball games for Auburn. And it just, it helped me get into that rhythm of what a game game week is like. I remember back in 2004, I started to work for a radio station in Auburn. I did a morning show and then I did a, a, a remote every Monday at a car dealership in Opelika. And it was a three hour remote and I would do drop-ins. But during that time of the remote, I would start to work on my spotting boards. So while the remote was going on, I think we were carrying Paul Feinbaum at the time. So we did breaks during the Feinbaum show. I would be working on names and numbers and that type of thing. So I like the rhythm. I like a routine. I like having a routine when it comes to football season, for sure. And I'm interested for broadcasters in, in your spot. You don't just do the games, but you also do coaches shows during the week. And I'm interested how much, because some broadcasters bring their, they have their football preparation done. Like Eli has his boards done by the time he talks to Saban on a Thursday or, or what have you. For you, what does that, do you have a list of questions ready to go, segments ready to go for a coach's show? How does that differ from maybe the game day preparation? I like to like Eli. I like to have a lot of my prep done. And if, if my boards are done, I will use that during the tiger talk show on, on a Thursday night, whether it's on location at Baumhauer's victory grill in Auburn or whether we're, we're in the studio doing it. So like Eli, I like to have that, that prep done. And it's something that I can refer to. I am not one that typically writes out questions for an interview, unless it is an individual that I don't know very well, or it's a topic that is brand new to me. And I might jot some notes, but it won't necessarily be the questions or the segments during the show. I, I like to be able to adjust. Listen, we all know what we want to basically talk about. You want to talk about the last game a little bit. You want to talk about any injuries that have occurred, although that's not something that coaches talk about a whole lot now. And you want to talk about the next game and the next opponent. So that never changes, but how you ask the questions may change. And I co-host Tiger Talk with Brad Law. So Brad and I are doing that show together and typically just alternating questions back and forth throughout the show. So it's not nearly as much on me as it was when Rod was doing that show by himself uh, in, in his years handling Tiger Talk. But I'm not typically one that, that sketches out all of my questions going in. And then for you as well, as the voice of the Auburn Tigers, how do you use kind of your availability and your, you know, you're able to go to practice, you're able to go beyond what the media can traditionally see. Like we talked about before, you're traveling on the trips with the teams. Just how do you use all of that time to help get you more familiar with these teams you're covering and help tell their stories better? Well, that was very different last year because I wasn't able to go to the practices. Uh, and it, so the, the, the access to the teams was dramatically cut back a year ago. I enjoy being able to go and watch and just to get an idea. I enjoy being able to shake a hand of a coach and with a brand new staff on campus. Now, I think it's even more important this year to be able just to, you know, have put a name to a face and for them, for them to know who I am. Um, and if you have a chance just to, to say hello to a player or two and, and to watch and to learn about the team a little bit, uh, traveling with the team is a great benefit in our job. Just being able to be around these men and women away from the football field or the basketball court or the baseball diamond, just to, to learn just about those individuals personally. A little bit. I try though to not cross that line where you know you you invade their privacy, so to speak. Um, but it's it's nice to be able to have a meal with the coach uh, 
from time to time on the road, pick their brain just to laugh with them a little bit, get to know them a little bit better. And just to be around the team, being able to go to shoot arounds uh, the night before an away game gives me a sense of peace um, or a shoot around during the day because you get to set up your equipment and make sure that your equipment still works. And listen, to this day, going on the road to Rupp Arena or Coleman Coliseum or wherever and being able to set up the equipment and to push that button and it connects and knowing that everything works is still a relief to me. And I've been doing this since 1983. So I enjoy just that part of it, just having that off my plate, not rushing when you get to the site to set up your equipment and make sure that it works, knowing that it works. And when you walk in then with the team for that game that night or that afternoon, that, that part is already done. Your pregame show typically is already done and sent. You can sit down and you can concentrate on your broadcast at that point. Yeah, it's a big feeling to know you can connect, especially at Kyle's place at Florida with all the firewalls that the Gators love to give us. <laughs> right, We've Andy? officially gotten rid of all the firewalls, Andy. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh. You press oh. that button and boom, you're ready to go. It took a while, but we got there. So no more firewalls. Well, that's the best news I've had today. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty good. Uh, Andy, this show is really designed for young broadcasters, college announcers, and people that are taking their first steps in the business. Uh, still to this day, what are your biggest pet peeves when you listen to other broadcasts? What should people really avoid? You know, it's just it's just my style. The, the, the thing that I see, and I see it more on TV now than anything else, Roger, is the trend of talking during a broadcast and almost ignoring what action is going on on the playing surface. I, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand how you're not talking about the game itself. That's maybe my biggest, no, it is. That is my biggest pet peeve. Now I, you don't see it very often in the radio game because you're, if you're not calling the game itself, you're not doing your job. So that's it. That that's the biggest pet peeve I have is, is, and I understand that you want to paint a picture and you want to promote other broadcasts and games and, and talk about the league in general. But when you're doing that and ignoring what's going on the, the court for four plays, that's not what I was taught. And I know it's a different generation now, and it maybe it's what the producer wants the broadcasters to do, I don't know, but that's my biggest pet peeve right now. And I, in, in watching reaction from fans, I, I think the fans, many fans that would agree with that one as well. And let me ask you this, Andy. So for me, uh, at times I could be a, a little bit, uh, I don't know, overwhelmed with my schedule. And I look at a guy like Joe Buck and he calls the, the entire world series and he throws in three NFL games in there for me. You know, I, I could be a little obsessive when it comes to preparation. So for you, it does all three sports and you have two different crossover seasons. How do you manage your time to the point where you, you have it down pat? You're, you're not uh, overwhelming yourself with preparation and you make sure that maybe you're not overdoing it, but you know that you're ready to go. Well, November is one month where you have a great deal of crossover and then February is another when you're doing all three sports. November, of course, is football, basketball. February, it's basketball, and for me, baseball. And you just have to, you, you have to go in knowing, all right, I've got this prep that I've got to do. I've got football prep Monday through Tuesday. And maybe I start on it even earlier. The, the Thursday prior getting those names and numbers on the, 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 the board helps a great deal. And then you, you just, you've got to have time to prep for that basketball game on a Friday night before a football game. And you may not get to spend as much time at practice as you would like for both because you're covering, you're carrying both at that point. And you know, you, you, I, I, I have a checklist of things that I'm doing. I'm, am I ever, am I able, am I able to put a check mark into prep for Auburn, Florida football? 
then what is next? All right, I've got prep for this basketball game now as well. I, I don't know what the secret is to being over-prepped and to find the time for it. There are times, and this is Rod's office that I'm in right now, by the way. Um, there are times where that I just have to close the door to this office and hunker down and do it and not have the distractions of, of talking to other people in the office. Uh, if you need a break, get a break, get up and walk around for a second, you know, get the juices flowing a little bit. I try not to bring a lot of it home with me. I try to do my work at the office. Sometimes you, you have no choice. You've got to be able to do some work at the house and technology now allows you to bring all of the technology home with you and, and sit and do it. But I try to do it mostly in the office. And when I'm home, I'm home uh, with my wife and, and Joshua at that point. So I, I don't have a magic pill for that. It's just those, those two months of the year and even into early December, depending on how far you're going for football, there's a lot of crossover and it's just a lot of time. Maybe you, maybe I get to the office a little bit earlier or, and this is probably not the healthiest thing. I don't take lunch through a day and, and you just do that kind of work. And then you go do the ball games and you start it all over again. So I, I wish I had a better answer for you there, Kyle. I'm, I'm not sure that, that, uh, that's the way it is, but, um, I'd rather be doing that than something else. Final question, Andy, uh, just when folks listen to an Auburn broadcast, when they hear you call a game, whether it is football, basketball, baseball, what do you hope they hear? I hope they hear my love for Auburn. In spite of the fact that I'm not an Auburn alum, I've called games at Auburn since 1988. I hope they hear uh, my passion for the team that I'm calling and for that coach and those players. And I hope they, they, they hear the appreciation that I have for the folks that work on our broadcast crew, whether it's our engineer, Patrick Tisdale, or my spotter, Gene Dulaney, or Ronnie Brown, who's on the sideline, or Brad Law, who's our producer and our locker room host, or Jason Campbell, who's one of our analysts, and of course, Stan White, Paul Ellen, who's been a, a host on our broadcasts since 1990, and for a couple of years was the play-by-play -play voice at Auburn back in the 70s. I enjoy, I genuinely enjoy working with these folks and the time that we get to spend together. And then, of course, it's Sonny and Brad during basketball season and Brad um, during baseball season. I enjoy just the camaraderie, the friendships that I have with them, and I hope that that comes through in a broadcast. And, yeah, I do. I want Auburn to win. It makes all of our lives better when the team that you're calling is a winning team. Everybody's happier when you're winning. So those are the things that I, that I hope that, that folks can, can take from a broadcast that, that I and the crew for the Auburn Sports Network that are doing each and every week during football season through basketball and baseball as well. Well, you do fantastic work. And also you do a fantastic job welcoming people to SEC broadcasting. I know that was the case for me when I started calling Alabama women's basketball. Same for Kyle doing the Gators women's basketball as well. So just thank you for the way you've welcomed in some of the younger announcers in this league. And just thank you for spending the last hour with us and giving us a ton of insights. We really enjoyed it, Andy. Well, I appreciate that. Listen, I, I remember Bob Kessling my first year uh, doing women's basketball and Bob was still doing Tennessee Lady Vols basketball. And I can remember him welcoming me in. And I, at the time, was 28 years old. So I was a young guy as well. And, and those times where you walk in to a brand new gig and someone is there to shake your hand and say, all right, listen, the bathroom's over here. You can get a, 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 you can get a soft drink over here. Uh, that, that's helpful. And listen, there are times where we all need somebody else. We've, we've forgotten a cord or something has broken. And maybe that other broadcaster can help, or we can be that person that helps another broadcaster. I, I enjoy that camaraderie that we have in spite of the fact that we're broadcasting for different schools. Uh, folks may not realize the friendships that we develop with the other folks that are broadcasting that we get to see week in and week out. Uh, the, the one story that I tell, and some folks may be surprised to hear this, is the night that, that Rod passed away, 
we were at uh, UAB Hospital in Birmingham. Jan and I had driven down from Huntsville. We'd been in Huntsville for a family graduation. And after we received the news about Rod, Paula had already passed away at this point. After we received the news about Rod, somebody at the hospital walked in to where we were and said, listen, there's a couple guys out here uh, that, that, that would like to talk to you. And I said, you know who they are? They said, we don't know. And I said, okay. And so I took a moment and walked outside the hospital and it was Eli Gold and Chris Stewart. They had come to the hospital that night and hearing this, the, the, the news about Rod. And I can't tell you, Jasher Cox, who at the time was the sports information director at Tuskegee, and I had worked with for a long time, and Jasher was working for the SEC as a moderator for the, the press conferences during the SEC baseball tournament. Now he's the athletic director at Lincoln Memorial. He had come to the hospital that night. I can't tell you how much that meant for those gentlemen to come and, and the concern, the genuine love and concern that they had for Rod to be there that night. And that just is a, a glimpse of the camaraderie and the friendships that we develop throughout a basketball or a baseball or a football season year after year. Well, Andy, we've enjoyed it. Again, thank you for joining us on Broadcaster Hour. And thanks to all of you for watching this edition of Broadcaster Hour. We'll be back next week, Friday at noon Eastern.